Hello, and welcome to the First Blood Podcast, where we talk with horror creatives about their first horror movie experiences and how that defined their careers and lives. I'm your host, Matt Rosenblatt. A little bit of insight about some of my first bloods before we get into the episode, and this ties in with our guest this this today, actually. Um, you know, I remember as a kid watching, you know, this really isn't like a first blood, but it's like a culmination of a first blood more, like a subsection for me, but... Um, you know, I remember my first experiences as a kid on Saturdays and Sundays, um, I would watch a sci-fi channel and from 8am to like 10pm, you know, I'd be watching all these mixture of movies and every Saturday night at 8pm, there'd always be a new movie. And I remember that being really special to about when I was about six or seven till up until I was like 12. And it's kind of crazy how that how that really shaped, you know, what I liked and what I didn't like from there. And I, I do view it as a huge defining moment uh, for me as a fan. And that brings in our guest, um, Thomas P. Vitale, uh, Tom Vitale Short, um, more is what he goes by, uh, but formerly Thomas P. Vitale. Uh, I first met Tom at Fantastic Fest when I interviewed him, Brett Simmons, and Griff first for uh, You Might Be the Killer. And, you know, we've since talked a little bit after that, and he was kind enough to come on. And mentioning the Sci-Fi Channel, he was a big part of a lot of what they made um, for numerous, numerous years and worked on numerous, I believe hundreds of films is what he says. And one of the big films he was a part of was the creation of Sharknado and had a big part in the first two and um, I believe helped out a little bit in the sequels beyond them. Um... He's also a part of Chiller. Uh, he was a part of Chiller in their heyday around the 2000s. You know, the top 13, like, scariest movie moments and of the decade and stuff like that. Um, and then he's a producer as well on things like um, Slasher from Netflix and You Might Be the Killer, obviously. And uh, a new show on CW called Pandora. You know, we talk about a lot of different things uh, with the genre. We talk about his story and, like, his same way of what he grew up in. It's very similar in my situation and what I grew up watching in. Um, so, you know, before I keep talking about it, let's just get into it with him. I want to jump in first with... Um, Obviously, the I mean, we talked about it a little bit just now. Uh, the the Chiller Thirteen, because I know for me, as a kid watching, I I remember coming across those at the end of the decade, like the Chillers, scariest movie moments of the decade, and like the scariest movies of the decade, and um, so I'm curious to know like how you really got involved with that, and um, you know, just seeing how it aged from there. Yeah. Um. So Chiller Thirteen was a series of specials that we did at Chiller um, Network. Um, and I was running Chiller Network. Uh, I was running all the uh, programming there and, and, um, and some other aspects of the network. And, and um, we were getting into doing original, original programming on Chiller. And one of the things that people love um, on television are countdown shows. I mean, take, take a look at all the, the, the fun countdown shows on, on cable, you know, VA, VH1, those, 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 you know, I love the eighties. And I mean, there, there's so many great countdown shows and I'm like, let's do a countdown show on this great genre. We all love on the horror genre that 
issue was I didn't want to do a Cantan show that was like every other Cantan show. Oh, here are the best, you know, uh, horror villains. Here are the best this or that. Well, I want to do something that was kind of in, both informative and also um, fun. And, and because, I mean, this this genre, the horror genre, is, is a genre that people have fun with. This, this is a genre that people love um, and celebrate. Um, I mean, I mean, that's the whole point of horror, to to, to be entertained. Um, you know, you, you scream, you laugh, you feel the suspense. Um, it, it, it's There's so much in this genre. So how do you make a countdown show that's both informative because that's what content shows are this this happened on this date and this person was in it and but also fun and entertaining so you know that's where where um we did chili 13 we had a mix of of knowledgeable people in the genre as well as um comedians um and we'd show clips of the films and then we'd have people sit down and and kind of give their take on the film um and these specials were so popular. They aired over and over and over again on Chiller, and, and the Nielsen ratings were really strong for them, and we got great feedback on social media. Um, I'm really proud of those specials. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember being a kid watching them because I, I, I remember they came out at the tail end of the decade of, like, the 2000s, and I, I guess I don't remember the exact age, but I, I was, but I had to have been, like, anywhere from, like, 14 to 16 when they came out. And uh, I remember watching them to death. Um, and then, like... Uh, the question for you, then, is were you both informed and entertained at the same time? Because that's what I was trying to do with those specials. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. I mean, like, I'd say... I mean, I was definitely entertained uh, for for certain. Um, I can't... It's going to be tough to go back to, like, my 14-year-old brain to remember how I was informed. <laughs> um, but, I mean, like... I, I was definitely entertained because, I mean, that's something that I still, like, went back and, like, looked for on YouTube recently to watch, even before, like, we were going to do this episode and before I put the dots together that you were a part of it. Um, so, I mean, like, it's something that I just like going back to because it's, like, interesting to hear, like, how the opinions... I'm curious to know, like, about the opinions and, like, how how did the rankings come about? Was that, like, amongst everyone that you brought on or was that amongst, like, the chiller uh people um or was that up to your discretion like the rankings um it, it, the the rankings um the, the rankings were made by me and my team um and we on on social media which you know social media was kind of <laughs> just starting out you know 10 years ago when we came out with these movies but um i won these specials but we wanted it to be controversial. And we, we went out and we even said on, on our social media platforms that we expect this to be controversial. We know people are going to, and I think some of the, um, even some of the promos, you know, what's your favorite? Do you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? Let yeah. us know. You know, we, we're going to leave out some of your favorites. We yeah. just will. We're, we're going to have a number one that you disagree with. But that's, that's the part, that's, that's part of the fun of rankings too, to start that conversation and have people debate. Because, you know, put any two people in a room you know forget about an audience full of uh, a television audience full of you know people but put any two people in a room, no one's gonna have the same ranking your favorite movie is not my favorite movie your favorite horror we, if you gave me your top 10 and my uh, it, we'd be lucky if we had two movies that matched yeah um, I so mean, yeah. that's part of the fun of it yeah i i agree because i mean i feel like so many of these lists like that was one thing i will give y'all's list is that it wasn't 
it wasn't like a safe list like because i feel like so many horror lists it's like safe it's like oh number one's like psycho or number one's like the shining and i'm like well yeah but like that's so like objective to say you know it was like it, it was nice to see the subjectivity in it because like there were times where like i was watching it for the first time and i was like man like the descent should have been higher like oh why was the stranger so low or like why wasn't this even on the list like and stuff like that and yeah, i remember it, being really surprised by the ring being number one and I think the older I got, the more I went, hmm, I kind of respect that opinion more. Yeah, we, we, we definitely wanted a, a list that was not safe. We wanted a list that was surprising. Um, we wanted a list that was not safe um, and something that would would create some controversy. I mean, it's not like we, we put things, you know, number one or number two, just, just to mess with people. I mean, there were enough people who said, yeah, there's reasons for this. So we, we had enough... Um, we 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 had enough people arguing for um for for certain movies in certain spots you also have to remember that that the um the, the ranking and the choice of movies they, they're they're very much of a time i mean you know uh, my list today wouldn't be my list from 10 years ago and and not even because there's new movies that i might put on my list now but also because um it's just what's what's in the zeitgeist at that time what what mood are you in when you're doing this yeah. um what have you watched recently um what are people talking about um you know if you made this list during the era of um of all the torture movies and when they were when they were big and they were and they were growing and people were saying oh this is something new in horror this is cool maybe there there would be a different list or or when found footage was big and coming in and, and like oh well okay now i get it um yeah you know now we're now we're in a time of of more I guess everyone's calling it elevated horror and we could talk about that later and, and, you know, the pros and the cons of even saying, using that word, um, which is, I, I think is controversial as well as a lot of other people, but maybe a different, different group movies would, would count now, you know, uh, when, when are slashers big and, and, in so I think these lists change from, from year to year based on, on what's going on in, in, in the marketplace as well. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I guess from, you know, letting it like, I guess, and this may put you on the spot a little bit, but taking like that same list and putting it in 2019, what do you feel like from your perspective is kind of aged the best? Like, what do you think is still either being talked about? And like, uh sequels or anything like that aside just from like the like the context of it now like just which do you think film like the film has like aged their legacies aged the best from that decade well there were three chiller 13s so there was great there was first we did the um um decade scariest movie moments yeah supposed to the best movies we want to do scariest moments that's another way by the way to make make the list different because we're not saying what are the best movies we're saying what are the best moments yeah um and we did um, most horrifying hookups and great American slashers. Yeah. Um, and, and partly that was also based. Great American slashers was also based on on the scheduling of it because I think if, if I'm remembering correctly, it premiered around July 4th when you're having all these um, you know sales. Great American car sale. Great American ball mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So part of it was was just a scheduling trick. You know, yeah. you, you try to do things that and, and great Amer and scariest movie moments what we scheduled it at the end of that decade so it was kind of our new year special so, so so some of the um and then horrifying hookups if i'm remembering correctly was probably scheduled around valentine's day so some of it 
the themes were chosen based on, on, you know, the calendar, because that made it even more fun. So we're not saying what's the best movie. We're saying what's what's the most horrifying hookup. Yeah. Have a laugh before Valentine's Day. So when you say what's held up and what hasn't held up, I, I think all the movies we talk about or talked about are still held up. But, you know, held up vis-a-vis the theme. Yeah. You know, is, is so I think I think the whole list still holds up because of how they were themed. Um, yeah. We never we never wanted to do. And that's why I said we never wanted to do the straight ahead best movies. Cause that's everybody does that. You, you just Google for that. You, you, you can Google best horror movies and you'll find, you know, tons and tons of different, you know, countless different lists from different, you know, fans and critics. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want to do that because we weren't adding anything new to the conversation. We wanted to theme it. I, I think of um, when the MTV video, uh, when the MTA, when the MTV movie awards first came out, I think they still do these categories now. They didn't just do like best movie of the year. They did best kiss. Oh yeah, like very specific uh, things of like, like yeah, best kiss, best fight scene, and, best. And I know the people who produced those movie, the, those specials, the, those award shows. And you know, I remember talking to them. This was a long time ago. I remember talking to them, and they said that they had to be different. Mm-hmm. Why? What does it? What does an MTV movie award mean? What? What does that mean? Why, why, why them? And you know, why, why, why do we care about them when we have the Oscars, we have the Golden Globes, we have, you know, Critics' Choice Awards, we have these other award shows? How do you say this is an MTV movie award show, and this is the attitude of MTV? So that stuck in my head for decades. Actually, those conversations. Um, yeah. And and I said, what is what does it mean to be a chiller countdown? What does Chiller Network say? What does it stand for? And Schiller's um, tagline at the time was scary good. And what we meant by it was our definition of, of what this genre is, what, what is horror. And, and we had an on-air um, um, network um, ID, kind of a brand ID, something that defines what the brand is, these little video packages that you see on every network. Um, that Usually it's like an animation that gives you the feeling of what the network's like. Um, and one of ours was this feeling of a roller was this roller coaster going through this horror landscape. It was a very cool piece of animation. It was beautiful work, um, uh, done by the team over at um, at Chiller. And um, the feeling was how we define the genre, which is watching a horror movie, enjoying the genre is like being on a roller coaster. When you go up that hill, you go up, 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 that slowly hear the clicking, click, 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 and you go up very slowly, and that builds the suspense. And that's the feeling you have when you're watching a good horror movie. The suspense is building, building. Then you get to the very top, right before the moment happens, and you teeter there, and just for a split second, you wait, and you, you, your breath catches, and mm-hmm. then, boom, you go down the big hill. And then what do you do when you go down the, the, the big incline on a roller coaster? You scream. And that's the moment of that something happens in a horror movie, and you scream when it happens. Yeah. And then what's the last thing? What's the last thing you do when you get off a roller coaster? I mean, you, you catch your breath. You you well, you catch your breath, but then what do you do? You and your friends laugh and you high five each other. Oh yeah. No, I mean, it, and that's yeah. the experience of a horror movie. You have the suspense, the teetering moment, the scream, then you catch your breath and you laugh and you yeah. enjoy it with friends, and it's a social thing. Um, and that was the definition of horror um, by the network. So we, we said that's the attitude of Chiller, this attitude of, of suspense, of fright, and fun. 
so the Chiller 13 specials needed to reflect that um, and reflect the attitude of the network. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they did. And that's what we were trying to do. Just like MTV wanted their movie awards um, to reflect the attitude of that network. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of um, where that all came from. Yeah. Well, jumping on to a different direction. Um, I'm curious. Cause as I, I mean, we, we talked about like your, your first bloods and we talked about like your, a little bit of your transformative. And, uh, I know you said you had a few and, um, I kind of want to start diving into that. Like I remember in the email yeah. you sent me, uh, you know, the big thing I saw, you know, that you mentioned by name was twilight zone. Um, and you know, I'm curious to kind of go more of the, I'm curious to talk about twilight zone, but I'm also curious to kind of talk about like your, those first, like as a kid, um, you know, coming across like what, like what were those films really like that I ever like really, really scared you. Uh, and I think that can train that leads into so, a potentially transformative experience. So for me getting into the genre, um, was a gradual thing. There wasn't, and I, I know the theme of this podcast is first blood and, um, you know, my friend Brett Simmons, your, your show with him was fantastic, and he had his first blood. It was a really central, singular moment, a singular movie. Um, for me, it was a lifelong, gradual, um, you know, being being pulled into the genre gradually um, throughout life. So I grew up in the New York area, um, and in New York, there was something called the 430 movie yeah. on local channel seven in new york wabc and it, went, and it was this it was at 4 30 to 6 right before local news and it's when they used to run movies in the afternoon and you come home from school um at you know and, and i'm at a young age and i watched way too much tv as a kid um i guess i work at tv and film now but yeah you know it was probably the, probably the only you know that was uh, my vice as a kid. I, I didn't do anything else, but I watched too much TV. Uh, and my parents were always like, "Go out, go out and play, get outside." So you know, you go out, but then I'd run back inside to turn the TV on. I loved television, yeah. and that's kind of why I, I, I got into this. And the 4:30 movie was one of those things. I mean, to me, a perfect afternoon would be, you know, cold winter day and sit down and do your homework in front of like lost in space on channel five from three to four. And, and then, you know, play outside for four to four thirty, and then get inside for the four thirty movie. Um, and the four thirty movie would take all these great horror movies and, and creature features from the probably the forties, but definitely from the fifties and sixties and cut them short. So you'd only have 90 minutes with commercials. You probably had to cut 10, 15 minutes uh, uh, out of the movie. So they used to talk about it as, you know, Cut to the good stuff. Um, you'd see Roger Corman movies. You'd see Hammer movies there. And, um, you know, it, it, AIP movies, if you know that old production company. And um, a lot of the, the Godzillas and Gammers. And you'd see all these movies. Um, and most weeks, I mean, they, they did sometimes they would do, you know, musical week or romantic comedy week. But for the most part, if my memory is correct, or maybe these are the only ones I watched, it was always these scary movies, these monster movies, creature features. Um, and I'd be scared. Yeah, you're six, seven years old and you're watching these these movies and they're scary. Um, but I couldn't turn away. And, you know, sometimes you give you a little kid, you get nightmares at night, they'd stick with you, but the next day you wanted to see it again, and the next day you wanted to see more. 
Um, and and then you, know, you discover Twilight Zone, which would run in, in New York at um, a lot of times at 11 o'clock at night. Um, there'd be repeats of the Twilight Zone, and you'd, you'd watch that. And some, some Twilight Zone stories are very heartwarming, uh, and some are, uh, are very sci-fi. There's other episodes, like, um, you know, one of the scariest ones is the Talky Tina episode um, with Tully Savalas, with the, the, the killer doll um, that actually takes revenge on, on the abusive father. Um, and then when she looks at him and, and, and says, I'm Talky Tina, and I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And she says it so sweetly. It's such a great moment. Uh, it's done so well. Um, you know, the, the, that was a moment that was incredible, you know, just scary and cool and it surprises you. Um, and, and then you look at these, you know, your, all the, you know, puppets and dolls that are in the house with a house full of kids and stuff. And it's like, ah, <laughs> yeah. haunted. um, and I think that, that actually, okay. So here's a, a, a strange story. I got a, when I was, I think in kindergarten or first grade, um, for Christmas, I got a, um, hand puppet from a relative, um, of, an old actor named Soupy Sales, who was a comedian for kids, and he did a lot of hijinks and pie throwing and silly things. And he had his own kid show in the afternoon, and um, very funny and very popular. He goes back to probably the 50s, and he was still on the air with original stuff in the 60s and 70s. Um, and they made this puppet, but it was probably cheaply made. You can actually find this thing on eBay. It was cheaply made. Um, and the face, you ever see a, a doll or a puppet face is just not right. It looks kind of weird and creepy. Oh yeah. My sister had a bunch of dolls growing up in her room and it was just no, nothing was good was going on in that, <laughs> that shelf. So, so I get this doll, uh, this puppet, hand puppet. Um, and yeah, okay, great. Put it down. I didn't really like the look of it, but I liked Soupy Sales. He was very funny. His show was very funny. And so I put it in your hand, you play with it a little, and you put it down. Your parents put it on a shelf in your room. So I'm in bed that that night. So I guess it was Christmas night. I'm in bed, and um, you know the moon's reflecting and through the window, and so the shelves lit up. And door, everyone, parents say goodnight, close the door, looking up, and the moonlight catches the puppet's face um, as I'm looking, and in my mind, I must have been, you know, half asleep um, at the time. And I'm thinking Talkie Tina, because, uh, I, I, you know, now I'm thinking about that Twilight episode. And all of a sudden, the doll, at least in my memory, what I, when I experienced at the time, the doll gets up off the shelf, climbs down the shelves, and starts to walk across the room towards me like it's going to kill me. This is what I saw in my mind's eye. This, and, and my breath caught, and I remember then as, as like a, first grader or whatever I was screaming for my parents who came running in the room and as the door opened the doll turned around ran back to the shelf and then sat there and just smiled down at me like ha 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 um so I told you know the six-year-old telling my parents what I saw and, and to my parents credit they said okay we're gonna get rid of this so they took me down and they threw it in the garbage outside they put the lid on it uh, which is exactly what Telly Savalas did in the Twilight Zone episode he puts the lid and the doll still gets out. So I actually made them tape the lid down. Oh, my. <laughs> in the middle of that, which they did. Uh, they taped it down. And then I was able to go back to sleep and the thing got thrown out. Um, wow. So Talking Tina was a really 
good. I don't know if it's a first blood or not, but uh, as you're defining with other uh, other guests, but it was quite a um, uh, a Twilight Zone episode for me. <laughs> yeah, I I really want to go into the because you you talked about creature features and you know the whole like that era of film and. I, I feel like I, I can see where that inspiration comes from for you because, I mean, you I feel like you've had such a big play in the creation of a lot of creature films, whether it be yeah. from, like, the sci-fi era of uh, film we and then did, specifically... We did, over, we did over 300 um, creature feature and, and kind of horror and supernatural movies and, and, and sci-fi mixed in there when we were doing the uh, sci-fi original movies over about a 15-year period. We were doing about two a month. We did over 300 original movies. Uh, with we had a great team and, and at Sci-Fi, and we did all these, you know, wonderful TV movies. And it's not just the creature feature movies from 4:30 movie. It's the idea of MOWs, so made for television movies are called yeah. MOWs. Um, but one of the other things the 70s had when I was growing up, they had um, great scary movies of the week. Um, yeah. I don't know how, and there's a new book out all about the, um, um, someone just came out like a year ago. You got to look it up. It's a wonderful book on, um, which I have uh, here. I just don't remember the title uh, of it off the top of my head, but there's a wonderful book on, um, on the scary movies of the week from the, the mostly from the seventies. Um, but I remember seeing those too. So I'm really little in the seventies and, um, used to watch these. My dad and I would watch them. He's like, you sure there's nothing you could do. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I wanted to see it. But the movies like, I don't know if you knew scream pretty Peggy or, um, don't be afraid of the dark bad Ronald. Um, there was the Gene Roddenberry one, Spectre and Norlis tapes. Um, Gene Roddenberry is mostly known, obviously, for science fiction. Twilight Zone and all. He, he did some scary stuff, too. Um, uh, it was Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Dark Shadows in the Afternoon. It was a oh, horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A soap opera. Um, Salem's Lot, one of the first. Oh, yeah. Stephen King. That was a TV movie. That was not a theatrical. Yeah. One of the first Stephen Kings were that was turned into film was uh, I don't think it was the first, but one of the early ones was a four-hour Salem's Lot, which was starring uh, David Soul from uh, Starsky and Hutch, which was a huge cop show at the time. Yeah. Um, and then one of the best ones, which I, and they remade this on USA Network years later, but the original trilogy of terror. Yeah. With Karen Black. Do you know that movie? I know of it. I've never seen it. I, I have seen oh, Salem's Lot, though. I mean, that one I'm very familiar with. Oh, Salem's Lot's great, but uh, Trilogy of Terror. Uh, first of all, Karen, you know, Karen Black. I don't know if your audience knows Karen Black or not, but um, she was a horror queen. Um, and Trilogy of Terror came out in 1975. Dan Curtis produced it. Dan Curtis, um, who also wound up producing... Coltrack, the Night Stalker, and he did Dark Shadows. So Dan Curtis was a TV movie producer who did a lot of, um, a lot of scary stuff on television. Um, and it's based on a trilogy of terrors based on a bunch of stories by Richard Matheson, who was one of the writer producers on the Twilight Zone with Rod Serling. I think he wrote the second most stories after Serling, if I'm not mistaken. But Matheson also wrote um, I Am Omega, um, you know, um, I Am Legend. Oh yeah, the, the, yeah. That that is um. So he wrote the original story, the trilogy of terror. It was it was it was a trilogy. It was three movies in one, three stories in one. So Karen Black plays a different character in each segment. So it was three segments, each one scarier than the previous segment. Um, 
And it's the third segment that everybody remembers with the Tiki doll. Um, so the, 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 the first segments, um, um, is, is a vengeance movie. Um, she plays a college professor who, um, seeks vengeance over a date rape. Um, it's a relevant movie for, for today, actually. Um, even though it was back in 1975, second one, she plays twins, actually a, a very bizarre twin sister relationship. But the third one is a woman who's terrorized by a Zuni fetish doll in her apartment. Um, and it's this little doll that, I, I don't even know if I should give away the, the end of it because the end of it is so creepy and so scary. Um, but it's this, and she tries everything. She tries to microwave the doll. She tries to kill everything. She tries to do to kill the doll, this, this, this fetish doll that has this huge blade and it's, and, and she, and she, Karen Black, it's pretty much the entire segment is just Karen Black and this killer doll. Uh, it's just Chucky before there was a Chucky. Yeah. Um, uh, it is so good. I mean, you'll, I'm sure you can find it on, um, you know, on online that that segment. Oh, I'm very um, curious to watch it now. I mean, like I've always heard of it. I just have never done too much the, of a deep re- dive. The remake is okay, but you got to watch the original one. And even and, and even if you don't watch the first two segments, it's it's the it's the third segment that's yeah. the, that's really really good. Um, well, going into. Um, the whole movie of the week aspect, I feel like, cause I, it's, it's kind of this cool circle moment for me because I, you grew up watching creature feature films that, which led to you working with sci-fi on a lot of movies of that creature feature era. And I grew up watching every Saturday, Sunday, watching from like 8am to 10pm, all the sci-fi stuff every weekend. And I remember there being like the lead up to like the movie of the week at like Saturday at 8pm. It was like, there's something new that was going to happen. And I remember that vividly from when I was like six to about 12 years old. Nice. So it's, it's really cool. And it's crazy too, because I mean, like the, the film that, I mean, this film almost precedes like where it came from because it's so big now, but I, I'm curious to know about the whole process of the creation of this film and then when you guys knew that it was going to be big, but I'm speaking specifically to Sharknado, that whole entity that was that whole franchise that was created sure. from that. So um, Sharknado and I, I was at um, Sci-Fi and, and uh, Chiller, and that's really when I was um, transitioning over to Chiller Network from Sci-Fi. Um, I was there for the first, well, I was at the company for the first two Sharknados, and it kept going after that, and there's been six of them now. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a fan. I've seen them all. They're all a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, and, and the funny thing is, are, are shark movies like that? I mean, Jaws is a, absolutely a horror movie, but is a movie like Sharknado a horror movie? Is it a creature feature? Is it is it a comedy? I mean, when you start getting into the, the movies that we did at Sharknado, and I'll, I'll talk about Sharknado in a second, but when you start getting into the, the movies that we did there, Sharktopus or, or Dino Croc or, you know, um, Mansquito or Larva or any of these creature feature movies, are they horror movies per se? Are they, you know, they're, they're definitely not Nightmare on Elm Street. They're, they're not The Shining. They're, they're not hereditary. They're not that flavor of movie what what 
what is it? Do they deserve their own category, their own genre? I mean, I, what, what what are they? <laughs> I would say so. I mean, like, I think that that's kind of, kind of one of the great things about the genre is that, like, they there is so many subgenres. So, I like, I would just call them in their own subgenre of creature feature within that horror umbrella. I mean, like, while they... With, with a camp angle. Yeah. On purpose. They have their own charm to them. And I, I think, like, to me, the idea of, like, someone, like, throwing them at the wayside it's like oh that doesn't deserve to be in the genre it's like well if people from the genre are celebrating them it's like ah yeah they're a part of the genre and like they definitely have been celebrated and there have been people that have criticized them but i mean that's on them if they can't find the humor in a film that's literally called sharknado so i mean it's... <laughs> yeah i mean those, those movies got a lot of a lot of criticism over the years i think especially in the early going when when people didn't realize that we were making them can't be on purpose i think the audience got it before the critics got it, we, they they were there to be, to be fun, and and I I've said this um, in in um, you know press interviews about them um, back back when we were doing them, I, I would say one of the one of the taglines internally that we we considered was ridiculously entertaining, and the point was, and what we say is that after a long hard week, this is Saturday night. It's it's a different, people have a diff, are in a different mood on a Saturday than they are, so let's say on a Sunday night, when, when they're getting ready for the work week at school and everything, getting back to school, Monday's different, Tuesday, every night's a little bit different. Saturday night's when you let your hair down and you relax and, you know, you want to be entertained. Um, and, and we were making movies that would just let people unwind after a hard, hard week of work, you know. Most people in this country work you know, really hard, multiple jobs and, and family obligations. And, and, you know, sometimes you just want, I mean, smart, deep TV that may, and movies that make you think and make you work. Are, I, I love that kind of, kind of stuff. I mean, there's some great television um, on now. And there was at the time too, but sometimes you're in the mood just to laugh and just to relax and get a couple of little jump scares and, have some fun. So we were really, that's what we were trying to do, just entertain people. Um, and, and you know, it, it's funny. People, you would say, oh, what are these movies? Or oh, what are they doing here? They're so campy. They're so silly. But if you think about it, is there a difference between that and a sitcom where people just want to sit back and laugh too? Um, we, we're just giving people laughter within the context of a creature movie as opposed to within the context of, a living room which is what a sitcom is right usually yeah um so the the way sharknado came about so we obviously not all the movies were campy uh, to that degree a lot of a lot of the movies there were some movies where we actually did some straight ahead horror and some movies where we did you know straight ahead science fiction or or so and then we did a bunch of action i mean disaster movies you know action disaster movies um but one of our subgenres um, from the sci-fi movie was were the campy ones, um, and in terms of of Sharknado, Anthony Ferrante, who's the director of all the Sharknado movies, um, he had written a, a script for sci-fi called um, Leprechaun's Revenge, um, and nothing to do with the theatrical Leprechaun movie. It was a movie, it was a different Leprechaun movie, but. Every, every year that the team and I, we would look at the calendar for the following year and say, you know, what does the calendar look like? What, how many movies do we need? When are we going to air them? They were usually on Saturday nights. Um, and in that year, the Saturday night, St. Patrick's Day fell on a Saturday. We're like, 
oh, we should do a Leprechaun movie on this particular Saturday night. So Anthony wrote this, and, and he was a writer-director who had done a bunch of movies for us, and he, and he wrote this movie called Leprechaun's Revenge, and he used the word Sharknado in the script. Um, he said, basically, um, I don't know, I, I don't remember the exact thing. Two, two characters were, were talking in the script, and one character said, you have to tell the authorities about this leprechaun. And he said, I'll be a laughingstock. You remember last year's Sharknado incident? Anthony wrote that, and it's in Leprechaun's Revenge, that line. And it was kind of a throwaway line, just a little joke in Leprechaun's Revenge. So one of the guys on my team who had read Leprechaun's Revenge first, you know, came into, um, you know, my office and said, look what Anthony wrote here. He used the word Sharknado. And we're like, ah, oh, man, that's funny. That, and we had already been talking about doing a Flying Shark movie. We had a couple of other pitches previously for a Flying Shark movie. And and they said, look at this word, Sharknado. I was like, wow, that's cool. Um, and they were like, yeah, we got to make this. And and so it was just, we were always looking for titles. People would come to us with, with these crazy titles. And a lot of the movies came from, started from, you know, what's the creature? What's the title? How do we combine, you know, and like Sharktopus. Sharktopus was a title first, and then it, and then it became a Roger Corman movie. But it was a word that we knew we could build something around. So Sharknado was also just a, a title. No one no one expected it to be what it was. I mean, um, one of the things that happened with Sharknado was instead of airing on a Saturday, it premiered on a Thursday night during the summer. That the, we were trying to mix things up and try some different things, and you know. In the summertime, there's, there's less original programming on, so we had, there was less competition on Thursday. And we're like, hey, let's try the movies on a Thursday night and see how they do this summer on, on a Thursday. Um, so I think because it aired on Thursday, and Twitter was just starting to take off, and because it aired on Thursday, um, a, a couple of people who were like known comedians and and known actors and commentators and all started to um and people with big followings started to tweet about it and then other people jumped in and all of a sudden it's like wow what's going going on i remember getting um you know a, a text or from somebody in in my office saying you got to go on twitter now this thing's blowing up and then i sat there at home and watched twitter side by side with the movie. And in the past we had had some movies that had made some noise on Twitter, but nothing to this degree. And it just blew up on Twitter. And, and um, I think if I'm remembering correctly, it was the second most tweeted thing of the year or entertainment thing of the year outside of the game of Thrones, red wedding, I think was number one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but no one expected that because it was just one of 20 something movies we had that year. And we had, had other movies with, you know, great titles um, that had gotten a little buzz. We, we did one thing called um, Guy in My Office, um, Russell Friedman uh, came up with the idea for, for um, kind of a, a, a Noah's Ark um, movie, but it was um, a dark arc, um, this thing, Monster Ark it was called. Hmm. And it was this idea, and it takes place present day that you know, they're always searching, there's all these specials hunting, you know, searching for Noah's Ark. Oh, we found Noah's Ark. Did we find it? You know, is this the wreck of Noah's Ark? So we have a, a group that finds um, the remains of Noah's Ark, and it turns out it's not Noah's Ark. It was his quote-unquote first Ark. 
and the story, the backstory is that uh, before Noah was picked to save two of every animal, he was given a job first by God to round up all the creatures because there's a line in the Bible somewhere, I think, that says the, from the creatures from before the time of men. So he had a, and there was a few that were still on earth. So he had to round them up, bring them out in a boat and sink the boat to save the world from, to clear out these old evil creatures. Mm. Um, and one of them, you know, survived in some state of suspended animation when they dug up the monster ark. So then there were soldiers and, and people were to find, you know, fight this creature. And, and it ends where someone, you know, finds his Noah's staff and it's magical still. And he's got to find his faith and because he, he had lost his faith. He finds his faith and he's able to defeat this creature from before the time. And so it was this whole kind of quasi-religious, you know, fun story with Noah in and Noah's ark. At the time that it came out, which was before Twitter, that when we aired Monster Arc, it was a trending topic on Yahoo because everyone thought that did someone find was there another arc? Was there a second arc? Because we went out oh, and we just said, Oh, yeah. a movie about there was a movie we didn't say we found, we just said we made a movie about Noah's other arc. I mean, that's what the movie's about. Um, everyone's like, Well, what does that mean? Was there so it was a trending topic on Twitter? So things had trended before, but Sharknado hit just when Twitter was taking off. So it was a timing. It, it was a great title, great execution. The movie is fun as can be. Um, the, the, the name Sharknado is probably the best title, you know, of, of that kind of can't be, you know, it in the title kind of thing that we, we ever had, you know, right up there with Sharktopus and Mitskito and Monster Arc and a few other great titles that we had. Um, timed with the Thursday airing. So, so a lot of the, tastemakers on Twitter, the people with big followings were actually home as opposed to Saturday night where a lot of people are out. So they were home. The right people tweeted about it at the right time. So there's a lot of magic to anything that's a success. Yeah. Um, you know, it's timing. It's, it's, it, it was the big, you know, because Twitter was new. Here's another thing that made, made Sharknado great. Ian Ziering's performance. He, Gives, he he understood right away what this movie had to be, how much fun this movie had to be. You know, there were, there's a lot of movies. If you look at campy movies, I'm not just talking about the sci-fi movies. You look at movies from, you know, any anybody, you know, going back to the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, a lot of times people are, are in movies and they don't give it their all. You know, they're like, oh, yeah. he just did that for a paycheck. She just did that for a paycheck. Oh, this one's bailing it in. This, you know, great actor, but they're barely in this. And, and you know... But when an actor gives it their all and says, I know what this is, and I'm going to, to give this and entertain the audience. I, I'm going to just take this and make this the, the most fun experience for the audience that I can make it. And Ian Ziering does that. He, he respects the audience and made it so much fun for the audience. Um, and he's another reason this, this movie takes off, because he, he does it for the viewers. Uh, and he's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, cause it's exactly, you know, what the movie needed. Um, so you put all these elements together and that magic happens and all of a sudden the movie takes off and then you get a couple of headlines, you know, and, and, you know, newspapers and tabloids and the internet. One other thing that helped it was before the movie aired, the um, production company, the asylum, uh, is the production company's name. They were selling it, it you know, sci-fi had it domestically, so they sell it internationally. 
and they put out their first poster, which is a really one fancy poster that says Sharknado, and, it's, and it says Nuff Said on it. Yeah. And that poster you can still see on the That poster got out there um, because there was, you know, at one of the, the – I don't know if your audience knows, but a lot of movies are sold through these markets um, – AFM or film market, something called the American film market, the Cannes film market, then called MIP and MIP TV, MIPCOM, Nappy. There's all these markets where television shows and movies are bought and, and sold by networks all across the world. Um, so they went out with um, this poster and, and got on the internet again. This was the early days when things like that got on the internet. Um, and the poster itself got a little buzzy. So I think people were ready for it. It was the first time really that something like that had, had happened too with a TV movie. Um, and then there was a New York Post writer named Don Kaplan um, who saw the poster. And uh, and Don was a friend of mine uh, from outside the industry, actually. I knew him. Um, but, you know, we were, he was a TV reviewer. And, and um, um, you know, he would always talk to me about, you know, what you guys got coming up. But he's found this poster on the net and he wrote about it. Um and then his article got picked up by, because it went out on um, the wire services. So before Sharknado even aired, there was this little buzz growing. So we knew this one was going to do well, but we never expected what it was. And then when you never, no one ever, whenever something is huge, hit, no one expects, you know, it, you, you hope for it, but you can't count on it, you know, um, in any industry and in sport or anything, you, you can't count on on something being used, you hope hope it's going to be, but I think everybody was was happily surprised by how much better it did, how bigger, how much bigger it was, um, and then obviously immediately when something's that successful, you you order a sequel. Yeah. Um, and there were very few of the sci-fi original movies that that were sequelized. We just, we'll just come up with another name. We'll come up with another another title, another story. Um, but this was one of the few that got sequelized, and. Uh, um, and then they made six of them all, all, all did well. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it is a fun franchise. I'm curious to see, you know, if, if what happens to that franchise going forward, you know, they finish the story. Number six actually ends the story of these characters. Mm -hmm. Um, and really Anthony Ferrante, who's the, you know, creator of Sharknado wraps it all up and the director of all and wraps it up in a really nice bow. Um, but I'm, I'm curious what happens next with Sharknado. Um, cause I'm sure, I don't know. I have no inside information, but I'm sure we'll see more of, uh, of this in the future in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's crazy. I mean, the legacy of, that it's created, I mean, like it really took over like the decade in a way of like that, that genre. And it's funny because like we were shooting a film last weekend and I was telling people that like, this was at the time whenever we had like set up to do our interview and, and talk about just to talk on this episode and uh i had been i was talking to one of the people on the set and i was like yeah i was like he he's i was just like listing off the things you did and and then like i mentioned that you worked on sharknado and he was like what he was like <laughs> i have questions and i need you to ask them for me and he wants me to tell you he texted me before i i popped in and recorded up he was just like I want you to tell him that I said thank you for bringing me hours and hours of joy over the last decade. <laughs> so that's nice. That's that's great to hear. And that, and that's what those the, those movies were not just the Chuck Nato movies, but all the movies that we did. They really were about you know just 
entertaining the audience and 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 finding a way to have fun on a Saturday night. Um, you know, at the time, sci-fi, you know, had those movies, but but also had like award-winning shows like Battlestar Galactica, which won a Peabody Award, which is one of the highest awards you can win in the TV business, in the entertainment business. I mean, we had we had programming of all types on the air yeah. and and you know you you celebrate all of it you know we had the, the long-running classic stargate series and and two sequel series I mean, we had such incredible stuff on the air and, and these fit the saturday night um audience perfectly the movies um yeah i would agree i mean like it's crazy because i mean like if i had to associate my uh elementary years of like being six to about 11 or 12 to a specific television station it would be the sci-fi channel like <laughs> I, I grew up on it so it's really cool how it i'm talking to someone there was a part of that whole world for so many years so it's it's kind of wild and a full circle moment for me that's the you know you talk about how, how you know you associate television and, and a tv network you know, with your entertainment memories, right? From from being 11, 12, and, and those years. Or, and, and, and your podcast is about, you know, First Blood and movies and all. I I would say that television, you know, which doesn't get as, as much credit, you know, when, when critics talk about it, but I would say television is maybe as formative, if not more formative than... Uh, than movies and, and for a lot of a lot of people in terms of, of their entertainment experience a lot of people in this business television is is it is as formative is, is maybe more formative than movies and partly it's because the difference between the, the experience of watching a movie and a tv series is very different when, when you're at a theatrical movie and you go to a movie theater you pay money so obviously that that makes it you know, right away you, you have certain expectations, you know, and, and you had, a, and there's effort, you had to leave your house and drive somewhere or walk somewhere. And, you know, you, you're, you're sitting up and you had to get dressed, you're not in your pajamas. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so there's a whole thing about going to a movie, but when the experience is over, kind of over, you know, you talk, maybe you talk about it with your friends or family afterwards, but, but it's over. A TV series is something that you invite into your home. You're probably in, in lying down on your couch or in your comfortable chairs. You, you you may be in a pair of sweats or pajamas at night. You 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 are there with your family. You're you're it, it's more intimate. You, it's in your living room. It's it's right there. You've invited it to your home, and then you invite it to your home every week. If it's a weekly TV series, you know, like a Stargate, those characters come into your home every single week. You love these characters, and they become you know, and Stargate SG One. That was a ten year series. Those, those characters are with you. 20 and there was 22 episodes a year um those characters with you uh, or 20 episodes a year those characters are with you week in week out for so much of your 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 life in your living room in your home and you're inviting them in um and you're sharing and and you're not in a theater so you're sitting there with family or friends and you're actually talking about the show while it's happening um and it's very different experience than than going out to a theatrical film. I think it is more private in some ways and more intimate. Um, and the sci-fi movies were a series in some ways too. It just every week it was a different, different character, a different movie, but it was like an anthology series of, of movies, yeah. you know, like, like Twilight Zone is an anthology of stories. Every week it was different actors, different stories. You know, some actors did multiple episodes and some actors did multiple movies for sci-fi, but it's an anthology. Yeah. Um, 
It's interesting. And, and, but it's very personal. It's a, it's interesting that you mentioned the whole idea of, you know, uh, television and being more intimate because I feel and like being more transformed almost. And it's like, we're, we've, we've been progressing that way, I guess since, I mean, ever since the advent of Netflix and now there's streaming everywhere to where it's like now the theater experience is so primarily at home. I mean, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's fascinating. And, and I feel like you've also had a lot of part into that because you've been a part of some things that are, uh, like, I mean, like we, um, can go into these two topics if you want. Um, but like you're, you obviously have uh slasher, which you're an EP on, um, for some episodes, uh, and that's on Netflix and, you know, taking that whole like horror movie aesthetic and dropping it in an anthology show. And then you've got, uh, you might be the killer, which, you know, got picked up by Shudder and, um, you know, which is exclusively like that. It's basically like a horror movie section just in your home. Uh, <laughs> so it's, you know, I, I'm curious to kind of hear about like, well, I mean it, it yeah. Cause it's like now the theater experience. And I'll, and I'll do a shameless plug right now, but I okay. say, I'm, I'm an EP on a um, science fiction series for the CW called Pandora. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which um, um, was a summer series, summer of 2019, and season two will be summer of 2020. But you can catch all the season one episodes um, streaming free on the CW app. There's my shameless plug. But yeah. Pandora, check that. It's great, um, great science fiction. By the way, Brett Simmons, who you interviewed for this uh, show recently, is one of the directors on Pandora. Yeah, uh, it's it's really cool. I, I'm still meaning to check out the show. I I mean, like, I picking up on cable is like a tough tough one for me just because it's like a i i mean like we have cable but it's you know it's just always tough to pinpoint it but now that i know where i can watch it i'm just gonna yeah gonna do it's, it. um and cw is a broadcast network so you even if you have an uh, antenna on your house you can get it on cw you can get cw which is uh which is different than cable so excited about that show slasher is um it's an anthology series but it's it's a season-long anthology so every eight episodes tell a um a single a single story over eight episodes so it's three seasons three different stories um and you might be the killer um, brett and i brett simmons and i did a kind of a send-up of the genre um yeah. a loving send-up of the genre. you have to know the genre and love the genre to um um to have made slasher i mean slasher is definitely made by people not just me and brett but other people around it we we all of us really love and celebrate the genre and slasher. Uh, I mean, you might be the killer that thing played in about 20 um, film festivals. So it, it seemed to be a fan favorite kind of uh, uh, movie. It has Fran Kranz and, and Alison Hannigan. So two people from the Whedon verse um, are in it. Um, and it's fun. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. Cause that's like, I mean, that's how we met originally um that's right so i mean Had fantastic fest. yeah it, it's yeah it's crazy because it's like it was like oh this was the first time we showed in front of an audience and then the next thing you know a few months later it's on shutter and it's just like it's so cool to see the community respond so positively to it and it's nice to see how everyone's careers have have continued to flourish from it which I has been really nice you know, you said community. I guess I really love the horror audience community. They are so supportive. Um, even even if, you know, when, when they don't like something, they're usually like, okay, 
this particular show or this particular movie wasn't for me, but I get it. Um, I like what they did there, or or this part's good, that's part's good. You don't get that in every genre. Sometimes you get you get you know there's a lot of negativity, obviously, on the web. Yeah. Everyone knows. That. I'm not breaking any new ground there, but the horror community is so supportive of of you know filmmakers um, and writers who do projects of all sizes, small projects, big projects. I really love. I I think it's such a great. Um, uh, community of fans and i think it's different than pretty much any any other fan community out there um i i, I think it's a very loving community and and you wouldn't expect that because you're like oh it's horror movies what what kind of people like you know blood and guts and stuff but yeah. they, they are really a kind um you know supportive group of viewers and um you know i, I just really appreciate the support they've given to all these different projects that i've worked on yeah I mean, it, it, it is really, like, it's it's crazy because, I mean, like, the I feel like the stigma or at least, like, the outside opinion from those that are not a part of the genre or a part of the community, it's like, oh, you know, they're terrible people or, oh, you know, they're so, like, scary or, oh, like, I don't want to talk to them or, like, they're weird. And I'm like, no, like, these – because, I mean, I go to conventions and, I mean, like, some of the nicest people ever. I mean, like – Literally, like, you can walk down the street, and if you're wearing, like, a horror movie shirt, and, like, you walk past a horror fan, they're gonna be like, hell yeah, nice shirt. Like, it's just how it rolls. I mean, and, like, so it's it's crazy to, like, to me, it's, like, the genre, it's fascinating, because it's, like, and this is something, like, Mick Garris has been saying for years of, like, you know, that's the only genre that has conventions, you know? Um, It's, like, really Mm -hmm. the only genre that has fan clubs. So it's, like, um... It's, yeah, it's I mean, crazy. I mean, obviously, there, there's the, the core sci-fi genre and, and the Star Trek conventions, and yeah. I go to the comics, which is all, all genre. That's kind of the larger horror sci-fi fantasy. And, yeah. You know, soap opera fans, I think, are are kind of a, a fan base that that's very committed. You know, if you're especially when daytime soaps were, were bigger and, um, a few years ago. But I, but I think the horror fan is the most accepting and and, and embracing of of people who make. Um, uh, make the shows and movies that they love so um you know that's it's i just love the genre and, and uh and the fan base yeah i would agree um, i mean yeah it's... and not everybody understands you said you know, people say oh you know who likes this stuff but sometimes they don't understand the, the the visceral thrill you get out of stuff or the fact that a movie when you've seen countless hours of movies and tv shows and, and read countless books um and uh, it, it and it takes a lot to, I think, surprise someone who's who's, you know, been around for a while and has done a lot. It takes it takes a bit to surprise me as a viewer and a reader, um, and, and and to move me. You know, as oh, I've seen that before. I've seen that, and, and you appreciate it. And you appreciate the artistry and the work that's put into to different movies and shows. But to to really shake me up, it's like oh, that takes a, you know, it it, it takes a lot. So recently or like a year ago, I saw hereditary. Um, and, and that's a fantastic movie. And obviously it was critically acclaimed and everyone talked about it. And it's, it's great. It's a great horror film. And I remember coming out of it. I remember saying to some, some folks who, um, aren't horror fans, they didn't see it. Uh, we were just talking about recent movies that we had seen. And I said, you know, hereditary is this great horror movie. I said, that movie was like a gut punch. It, it I, I felt bad i felt shaken up I, I felt disturbed and stuck with me i i it invaded my dreams for for a week and, and it stuck with me and, and and made me feel like 
off and just scared for, for a couple of weeks to come just thinking about that movie. They look at me and said, you're recommending that? Why would you recommend something that made you feel like that? It's like, no, you don't understand. This movie was so powerful, so impactful to me that, and you don't get that too often anymore. So the fact that the filmmaker could, could create um, a, 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 a strong emotion in me with their art is impressive and great. And, and I'll watch it again and I'll recommend it because this filmmaker actually pulled this off um, and did something unique and did something scary. Um, and and um, that's one of the things that I think if you don't love the genre, you can't understand why you want to experience something like that. Why, why you want that experience again. I can't wait till the next, you know, horror movie that, and it's not like hereditary is the only movie that's done that in the last year, but not, not too many. So and I can't wait to the next movie that, you know, makes me think, makes me feel something in, in, in that visceral way, like, like a great roller coaster. Um, yeah. So yeah, I love the genre. Oh, absolutely. Well, um, one of the things I do want to ask you about, because I know you are a father and, um, I, how would you say that, you know, you were young and you obviously, from what it sounds, you had very, um, good parents in the sense that they were really free in what they let you watch and let you be inspired by. And obviously that for you has worked out tremendously because you've had a great career from it. Um, how are you approaching the genre with, with your children? Are they, you know, in it or, you know, do they, do they want to be a part of it? Yeah, definitely. And and you got to be careful about each child's different. You, there's no magic age where you can't say, oh, six-year-olds can watch this, 10-year-olds can watch that, 14-year-olds can watch something else. Every 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 child's different. Every kid's different. Um, it doesn't break down across gender lines. It doesn't break down across age. Each child's different in terms of what they want to see, what entertains them, what excites them. And what disturbs them in a good way where it's just fun and then they get scared and then they laugh and then they're over it or what will really bother them. So you've got to know your child and, and, and you've got to, you've got to watch very carefully. I mean, I'll, I'll sometimes I'll go to a horror movie, the theaters and, 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 you know, something like hereditary and you'll sit there in a theater and, and there will be, you know, five, six year olds sitting there. It's like, why is a parent taking a kid to a movie like hereditary? You know, um, on the other hand, some parents don't let won't let a fourteen year old watch Sharknado because oh we don't we it's a, it's a horror movie it's like no for, you know so and like it's not really just about age but every kid's different and you've just got to know your kid um, and, and my kids are all different in terms of when they were ready for different different types of movies and and different types of scary movies and. Um, it's not even about body count because, like, my, my kids at a young age, they, they watch Sharknado and they thought it was the funniest thing ever. But you might be the killer. They're like, yeah. When they were younger, they're like, yeah, I can't go there. Mm. Um, and like, well, it has a smaller body count than Sharknado. Like, yeah, but you know, it's different. I'm like, of course, I know it's different. Um, so you've got to be, you know, very careful. Here's a funny story. Another first blood story for me. Um, in seventh grade, um, so it's junior high, and. Um, they, they have um, I, I don't know why they had an assembly uh, where they. I, oh no, I do remember why. Every so often they did these assemblies where where they would let you watch. They put us all in the auditorium, the whole seventh grade class. This was JHS 101 in the Bronx, uh, and I grew up in the Bronx. Um, and they put us in this assembly, 
seventh grade and they would show movies and I guess it was around Halloween and they decided to show us um, a horror movie and they showed us um, a Hammer horror movie. Do you know the Hammer movies? Oh, absolutely, yeah. The British, yeah, the British um, versions of Dracula and Frankenstein. And, you know, like, they were the Universal did all those movies in the 30s and 40s and, you know, into the 50s. But Hammer did them in the 60s. And um, Christopher Lee played Dracula in a lot of them. The great Christopher Lee, you know, who younger viewers might know from, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, yeah. Was he in Harry Potter, Christopher Lee, or, or not? He might have been. Uh, he, he, did, he did Star Wars. Him. That was his other Yeah, definitely one. Star Wars. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Count Dooku, right? Um, yeah. In Star Wars sequels. But he did um, these hammer moves. So, in seventh grade, they showed us Dracula has risen from the grave in this assembly. And, you know, it, it, it's a co-ed school. It's, it's, it's bloody. It's a hammer movie. It's sexy. There's these heaving bosoms and, you know, a lot of, a lot of sexuality in a vampire movie that, that Hammer had right there on the surface. You know, it's, it's, it's not a played beyond the level of metaphor <laughs> and a lot of kids were like loved it and a lot of kids in seventh grade a lot of, were scared out of their wits and couldn't i'm covering their eyes and couldn't believe that the school was showing us this movie i still don't know why they decided to do that or how they got nowadays you probably couldn't get away with that but why you know back in the 70s they did this who knows um but it was for a lot of people, even for me, I mean, I wasn't my first, but it was a pretty like seeing this movie in school, um, you know, w was pretty impactful. Um, and, you know, was every seventh grader ready for, and now people probably look at the Hammer movie and say, oh, they're dated, they're not that scary. But, you know, back in the 70s and, and, and you know, two days before Halloween on a stormy day, it was scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, so was every every seventh grader ready for a Christopher Lee Hammer Dracula movie? No, not at all. Half half the kids in that room were, half the kids weren't. So I think each kid you need to, I, I, and you can introduce them slowly. I mean, there's there's plenty of um, you know things that are a little scary that you could show them, and then you could go up to say, and if they like that, then you show them something else. And heck, you could, you could even show them, um, you know, it's around Halloween, the, the Michael Jackson thriller video still yeah. holds up. Oh, I agree. That's yeah. that's great to show, show a kid and see if they're into it. So, you know, if they're not into it, then you're like, okay, maybe this 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 kid won't really like horror as a grown-up. But if they're into it, cool, because, you know, it's, it's a little scary, but it's also cool, and it's music, and it's catchy, and it's dancing, and, and all. And yet there's a story. So I think, I think each kid's different, but I also think you need to ease kids into it. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't start, I wouldn't start a twelve-year-old with, you know, The Exorcist oh, <laughs> or no. The Shining. I well, um, it's it's interesting because that's kind of how I started in a way. Uh, my first, my one of my first transformed experiences was I watched uh, it, like the nineteen ninety version, was five or six. That's that was a made-for-TV movie too. Yeah, and uh, I got. I got dropped very much into the deep end of the genre. <laughs> you and, probably uh, watched that on Sci Fi Channel. <laughs> it might have been. I don't remember, honestly. You hear that all the time. But um, yeah, it freaked me out. I And I think, had I not had that experience, I don't know. Because that truly terrified me. And I, and I don't think I've ever had an experience quite. Well, this year, actually, I had an experience very similar, but for very different reasons with a film. Um, but, I mean, it. 
no film that had affected me that much ever. Like that's yeah. still number one probably. That's cool. That's that was really well done, and 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 it's a really good, you know, television miniseries, the King miniseries at the time. Um, it and the uh, Langoliers and the Tommyknockers and Salem's Lot. There were there were a handful of these Stephen King TV miniseries that were really wonderful. Um, wonderfully made and, and scary. And here's, all right, here's the other thing. Those were made for the broadcast networks. And, you know, back through the 80s, there really were only three or four channels, right? It was ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, um, and then obviously a couple of independent channels and PBS. Um, but that was it. There were, most people didn't have cable and there was no such thing as streaming. And, you know, it was VHS, um, you know, videotapes, but you kind of had to watch what was on. So that's why I said a lot of my horror movie experiences including, you know, The Exorcist. I, I didn't see The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby, these classic horror movies. I didn't see them in the theaters. I was too young. Um, but you saw them on TV because when there were only three channels, you know, and, and those channels played a lot of theatrical movies and a lot of the made-for movies that we talked about earlier. You just watched, or the Stephen King miniseries that you remember, you just watched what was on television. Um, I don't know if kids will grow up with the same experience now because now everything is so specifically targeted to every age group that if you're an eight-year-old, you're not going to turn on and say, what's on? You click around, oh, let me watch it because only, I only have four choices. Now it's like you've you got a channel made just for you or 10 channels made just for you as an eight-year-old boy or an eight-year-old girl, and that's what you watch. So you may not be exposed in the same way I was exposed, and, and you're younger to a lesser degree that you were exposed to to these um, um, these different genres. Um, yeah. Conceivably, there could be kids growing up now, you know, six, seven year olds who will never stumble on something. They will only watch what they watch without stumbling on new genres and new things because, oh, I watch this channel, I watch this service, and that's mm -hmm. it. So I felt I was very lucky because I got to see, you know, growing up, I got to see every genre, you know, and, and TV, I got to see Hollywood musicals and yeah. sci fi. You know, a lot of cop shows and, and, you know, romantic comedies. I mean, you got to see everything. Now, you, you, people, you know, grow up and say, no, I've never seen anything like that. Or I've never heard. It's the same thing with music, right? There's, you know, no, I, I, I don't listen to that. I don't know what it is. We, When I grew up, there was like one or two pop stations, so you knew every type of music. Now it's kids. I only listen to this. I only listen to this one particular thing. Oh. So I love all the choices we have, and I love having endless numbers of channels and services and um and places to catch stuff. But on the other hand, I also miss the days when there were programmers who introduced you to different things as a viewer. Yeah. So it's it, like everything is pluses and minuses to the, to the way things are changing. Everything's a double-edged sword. Yeah, I know. I would agree. I mean, it's, uh, the, the stuff has changed a lot. And I mean, I'm very fortunate to have grown up at the, like, I mean, I, I grew up at, in my elementary and middle years of like that uh, right before cell phones became big or at least smartphones I should say and then streaming and social media so I was very lucky to get to grow up and have something like the sci-fi channel and have other channels and then like get to watch chiller as well and now having things like shutter and then like getting to grow up in like the whole era of blockbuster and like having everything there so I mean like, video store. yeah yeah uh, and not a lot of, I mean, most people will know what that is and some people won't. And I mean, that's, yeah. that's just the well, shame I'm of glad, 
I'm glad I was part of the, the group of people. Uh, we had a lot of great people at Sci-Fi. Um, I'm glad I was part of that, that group who um, helped, uh, you know, entertain you. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I feel like we we could go on for a long time, and uh, I would love to, but, I mean, there's only so much I feel like people will want to want to hear us ramble about or well not so much ramble I, for me it's more rambling for you it's more i feel like you've got a lot of interesting stuff to say but um yeah i mean like i you know well, thank you for your time and i thank your uh, listeners too for uh, listening in. i hope um they, they they enjoyed it yeah thank you um well that's our show uh and you've been listening to first blood with uh tom vitale <laughs>